Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Lorehammer Listener Lore, the Warhammer 40k podcast where you get to write the script. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the show and maybe even jump your story in the line or maybe even read stories with me or maybe you have a story you would like to read to me, head on over to Patreon at Lorehammer Listener Lore and check out all the cool ways to get involved and support the show. Enjoy. Welcome back to Lorehammer Listening Lore, the 40k podcast where you write the script. Hey everyone, I'm your host Mark, and today we got two guests joining me. We got my lovely wife B. Welcome. Hello. Yo. And we got Gerald. Welcome back. Howdy. Hey, hey. We got part two of your Imperial Knight story. Um, whoop, whoop. Ha- yeah, kind of cool. I like your narrative that you wrote in your first one. You want to give us a quick little recap of what kind of happened? Set the scene. Okay, how to put this concisely? It is a imperial knight house of a preceptor and two armagers, and they're the last of their kind, and they're on the hunt for a harlequin solitaire named Ramara. So they are traveling to different Eldar worlds to try really, really hard to find her without getting into any fights. But <laughs> in the first part, that doesn't quite work out so well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved in your first part kind of the just the relationship between him and his knight. I think he did a great job of kind of there's one part where he was holding back his machine spirit for getting a little angry and whatever. And it was kind of that cool mm-hmm. relationship where it's the the mount and the steed. Well, I mean, the rider and the steed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because you just brought that up. Uh, you brought that up before is like that's kind of brings back to the old knight stories of, you know, just the knight and his horse. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah, you had the one part where like he was on his cargo ship and he was specifically saying like, yeah, I always sleep in my night when I'm doing this. Like it it's a part of me, you know, like it was very I love mm-hmm. that relationship. <laughs> well, that was just the one instance where he did it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not it's I mean, he often often does that. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. Well, I think uh, with that little teaser in the back of our mind, we could read The Blades of Stalios Part 2. Ready? Mm-hmm. And pull up the dock on my end here. Okay. Here we go. The cacophony of horns and alarms woke Geralt from his slumber, along with the flashing runes on the display. The machine spirit let out a mechanical yawn of grating metal as it came off of sleep mode and shook itself awake. Stethan's ship cleared its warp jump with little issue and arrived at its designated coordinates. A planet named Hedean, 
All specs and topographical imaging from the cockpit revealed a volcanic world of fiery sulfur pits and smoking calderas, not unlike some moons in the segmentum solar. The feeding of information in the cockpit's processes stirred the machine spirit into a nervous frenzy, overloading the throne mechanicum and Geralt with a torrent of emotion. Geralt struggled to concentrate on his own control over the night, silencing the voices of, the, of those riders before him. Easy, easy, he reassured the whimpering spirit. Captain Warwick, status? Stethan spoke through the box. Hailing nearby Imperial Communications now. Seems there's a mining colony down below down below, plagued by Eldar raiders. There's a detachment of Astartes here as well. About time we made some new friends, McKean chimed in. Geralt pinched his brow and cut his youngest sister off. Get mad at us and make yourselves ready for on your armatures. We'll be ready for Planetfall as soon as we get a green light and pray the Emperor sees favor with us. The request for aid took no time. <clears throat> Stethan relayed the incoming transmission from his bridge to the Knight's Vox, patching through the PDF commander and the lieutenant of the Salamanders chapter. Thank the Emperor for the Salamanders, Geralt thought. The lieutenant offered their location planet side, and the PDF commander authorized atmospheric entry. After checking the diagnostics of his knight and his sister's armager, the green light of the hangar flashed on, and the knights of House Celtic began their drop, hurling thousands of feet through the air, and the starry night of the upper atmosphere gave way to the choking ash and sweltering heat of Hadean's lava rivers. Pressurize your cabins, Geralt boxed his sisters. His angels might can withstand the atmosphere here, but we can't take that risk. As the knights fell, the auspex in the cockpit pinged endlessly with reports and warning flashes of enemy markers. Unlike the fighters on Loriath, these enemies knew speed and zipped out of range of the knight's sensors as quickly as they showed. Mattis used the keen eye of her armager and heightened sight of her machine spirit to lock in their query, and gasped once their identity loaded through the cogitator. These are Dark Eldar Raiders! What did I tell you? What did I tell you? McKean berated her siblings. Geralt's machine spirit whimpered before he snapped. Shut it! Steal yourselves and keep your focus on any vehicles and artillery. His angels will pick off any ground troops. Remember, we act as one unit and we'll survive this trial too. Understood, brother, both sisters replied in unison, submitting to the neurologic control of the pre <coughs> preceptor's throne. 1,000 feet remaining. The runes flashed on the cogitator screen. All three knights willed their machine spirits into a battle-ready trance. Pistons hissed, plasma coils hummed, and chainsaws revved in preparation for landfall. The ash clouds cleared way to the flashing... to the... Bleh, to the flashing pinpoints of... <laughs> shard carbines, heavy flamers, repulsor cannons, and reaper fire. Mattis's armager identified all vehicle targets of note, including Reaver jet bikes, Venoms, and a Ravager, and a single pain engine. 600 feet. Geralt fired the carapace missiles toward the pain engine, and aimed his impulsor toward the Ravager. 400 feet. Mattis took aim, and McKean guided her descent to a stationary Venom. 200 feet. 100 feet. Boom. The vile Cabalite warriors of the Drukhari were caught unawares when their knights landed and unleashed a storm of firepower from the rising dust of the impact craters. McKean's chain cleaver tore through the venom like butter, and the resulting explosion drowned out the shock and screams of the Dark Eldar. A nearby reaver dashed around the armager at lightning speed, dodging her thermal spear shots. However, the reaver pilot did not account for the enhanced targeting of Mattis's helmet ring. One shot from the autocannon, aided by the chirping machine spirit, turned the blue, the blur of the jet bike into a streak of colorful smoke and fire. Mattis 
focused one autocannon on another Venom, while her other autocannon and heavy stubber fired upon the remaining Reavers. Squads of Salamanders gathered around Geralt's preceptor and used their flamer weapons to keep stray infantry for closing the distance. With Geralt's presence known, the Reaper focused its firepower toward him. Thanks to the machine spirit sensors, Geralt managed to subtly dodge heavier shots and tank weaker ones with his ion shields. One heavy missile impacted a pauldron, creating a kickback and a mechanical yelp. Watch it! Geralt shouted to the spirit. There's two of us in here! Fighting them back the sensation of pain, he ran an aspects of the strafing ravager to locate a weakness and disable it. The box chatters surged with cries of terror and death throes as the Drukhari picked off PDF and Asatis alike with poisonous hex rifles and eviscerating shredders. Despite the desperate crimes of those around him, Geralt steeled himself and focused on the aspects scan. Warning runes flashed from all directions on the cogitator, and alarms blasted in the cabin, alerting Geralt to his failing iron ion shields. Overstimulated, the knight made haste to charge his lasm pulsar and broke into a sprint. He ran past the protective line to PDF and Salamanders, taking aim at the Ravager. Because of his focus, he missed the pain engine surviving his onslaught of heavy missiles and broke through a pillar of smoke, latching itself to his leg. The machine spirit of the knight screamed and yelped in terror, sounding like a digitized animal filtered through loud metallic clanks and scrapes. Battering away at the knight's leg, the pain engine tore off the lower armor panel with a resounding snap. Structural damage threw Geralt off balance, blasting the impulsor in a stray direction away from the Ravager. Despite his futile attempt at focus and control, the loss of balance sent the knight tumbling to the heated rocks beneath. The pain engine stayed on the knight's leg, tearing away at its mechanisms, throwing the machine spirit into a panicked frenzy. Through all the feedback in the cabin, Geralt made another attempt to charge the impulsor, but to no avail. The coil sparked and sputtered, fading in and out, before he could resign himself to his fate. Geralt heard the roar... Geralt heard a roar from the box. Not my brother, you bloated pustule! A bolt of energy shot through the fire and flames of Hedean's atmosphere and struck the pain engine with surgical precision. In the distance, the glowing blue eye of Mattis's Helverine pulsated amid the smoke. The destruction of the pain engine distracted the pilots of the Ravager just enough to provide an opening for McKean and her warglaive thermosphere. One shot to the underbelly sent the Ravager steering out of control toward McKean, who responded with a strike from her chain chain cleaver, scattering pieces of slag and drukari throughout the battlefield. One by one, the enemy markers on the cogitator blinked out and the alarm slowed down to a steady cadence. The remnants of the PDF and salamanders pulled through, a lock and <laughs> pulled through in locking the Kabbalite infantry into an unwinnable gauntlet of fire and lasgun shots. Any remaining jet bikes fled the losing battle and crested over one of the volcanoes in the distance, disappearing through a halo of blue light. Geralt and his sisters breathed a sigh of relief once the Auspex report determined all enemy combatants had been neutralized. Toppled on its side, Geralt's preceptor knight could only whimper at the state of its leg, and all Geralt could do was comfort the spirit to a soft coo. Sir Knight, came a deep voice from the box. Are you alive? Geralt groaned. Yes, Lieutenant. My pride's a little hurt, but I'll make do. I'm glad to hear you are still in good spirits, Sir Knight. There's some surrendering survivors that need to be that we need to eliminate first. Then I'll send a tech marine to wait, not yet. Round those bastards up. I have questions for them. But sir, is that wise? Just do it, Geralt growled. Anger boiled in his mind, fueled by the rage of the machine spirit's wounded pride and the fury of his ancestors stored in the throne mechanicum. Against the wishes of his sisters and the cries of the spirit, 
Geralt adjusted the pressure in his cabin and unhooked from the throne, activating the limited environmental protection offered by his suit. Immediately, he felt the sweltering heat on the surface of Hedeon, but his wrath burned hotter. Sauntering over to the restrained prisoners, the knight le leered at the Drukhari, threw his helmet, and took note. Even the dozens of flamers and melter weapons trained on them could not hide their collective sneering judgment. In his frustration, Geralt whipped out his Archaeotech pistol and breached the circle of Astartes. One prisoner looked to the knight and giggled maniacally. Geralt tightened his grip on his, tightened his, grip on his pistol. I fought your kind for years, he snarled through heavy breaths. And I must admit, for supposed deadly force of monstrous knife ears, you were sloppy. The Dark Eldar continued to giggle through his helmet, prompting the knight to take the butt of his pistol and swipe him across the face. The giggling did not stop. Harder, <laughs> Monkai! The Drukhari laughed. Geralt lost it. He adjusted his gri grip on the pistol and jammed the barrel into every joint opening on the Dark Eldar's armor and fired. The salamanders encircling the group turned their heads in surprise but said nothing. Shot after shot, the knight wanted... The knight wanted the masochistic abomination to shut up and stop laughing. He did not. So knight, the salamander's lieutenant shouted and laid a heavy hand on Geralt's shoulder. Droplets of sweat built up in the knight's helmet through the heat of Hedeon and his own exertion. His blind rage faded away to see a laughing Drukhari slouched in restraints, stained by scorch marks and boiled blood. The lieutenant lowered his voice to a more calming tone and spoke. This planet's heat is getting to you, sir. Please seek shelter in a Medicai station. Please seek shelter in a Medicai station, and we will interrogate these Zeno's filth if you wish. The Dark Eldar finally stopped his laughing with a gurgling cough. We know what you want to ask us, Lord Geralt. All fell quiet to the prisoner's blood-choked words. Never once did the Knights of House Celtic reveal their names to anyone outside of Stethan's rogue trader crew. How did the Zeno scum know of Geralt and his sisters? The Drukhari answered before he could be asked. You've been touched by the Erebinium. Your lot is a cursed one, and the suffering you've yet to endure will bring us more pleasure than any our folk can dream up. Rama warned us not to kill you, but she never said we had to help you. And for the rest of your ignoramious mankind, you deserve no less than mal Melidanum. Those are those are not even words that you typed down there, bud. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> Check the lexicana, man. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that say? Uh, apparently, uh, the first word Arabinian, That's like the Drukhari word for for uh solitaire. Okay. The second one, Maldinian, means no mercy. And the last one is just some kind of Eldar curse. It hasn't Body been translated. Cool. Okay, cool, so, cool. I, I love glad, that little bit of extra detail there. I'm glad you were the one to pronounce them and not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It happened in an instant. The, ground, the group of prisoners chortled before the leader threw his head hard against the wreckage of the Ravager. One clink of his helmet broke a loose plate on the hull and released a blinding flash of light, along with a torrent of monofilament stakes and barbs. Geralt had no time to process and react the expanding bubble of blades and flash fire. But through fortune, or misfortune, the lieutenant used his superior reflexes to pull the knight away and cradle him as a hulking meat shield. 
The concussive blast and impact of thousands of shrapnel pieces propelled the two across the ashen fields. Despite his best efforts, the salamander lost his hold of Geralt, who flew further still. Flopping on the ground against an igneous rock, the warning systems of the night, night's outer suit flashed at dangerous levels. His vision began to blur and focus in and out. Before losing consciousness, Geralt turned his head to the flaming wreckage and dead or injured bodies scattered about the field, triggering his memories of the night Stalos burned. Wake up. Geralt, wake up. A feminine figure hissed, shaking Geralt from his slumber. Geralt opened his eyes and shot up from his sleeping furs, staring into the lifeless eyes of a hooded, white mask. On instinct, he tried to reach for a dagger he kept hidden for such an event, but the hooded figure drew an intricate and alien-looking blade to his throat before his hand left the bed. The figure shook her head and warned, shook her head as warning before slowly sheathing her sword. The young knight caught the glint of the golden locks flowing from the hood as the figure backed off. Not a second passed before Geralt jumped to his feet, his eyes wide with recognition. I, I've seen you before, at that fair, all those years ago. Wait, Monkai. The figure silenced him. You're in danger. We need to get you and your sisters to safety now. He tossed Geralt a sword and some loose tunics to get dressed. As he finished his last knot, the door to his chambers burst open with a rogue priest in flames barreling through. The figure drew her sword in a blurring swirl, rendering a red-robed victim into a pile of flaming chunks, piercing the room with oily mechanical streams. In the same breath it took to perform the evisceration, the figure sheets the, the sword in a single motion. The odd sounds of others yelling and crying flooded into Geralt's chambers, along with the cracking of wood and mysterious pops and booms throughout the castle. The figure turned her head to Geralt and nodded. <clears throat> you may call me Ramara. Now, we must gather your sisters and your machines and leave. What of our parents? The knights questioned, but Ramara did not deign to answer. She ran through the door down the hall with an inhuman speed and grace. Geralt hurried after her, but caught himself in the shock of seeing the destruction wrought upon his home. Furniture and tapestries lay in shambles, wooden beams and supports crackled with flame, and then there were the bodies. Servants and guards alike littered the floors of the charred husks, as charred husks, or in irradiated pieces. <clears throat> All sense of self-preservation left him as he bolted from his parents' room. Ramara protested and threw many swears in her strange language, but changed her, but changed her stride to go with, go after him. <clears throat> Rushing through the blazing halls to the screams and raspy chants of heretics, Geralt came across a burning pile separating him from his destination. Undeterred, he looked for an opening and jumped through, singeing his clothes in the process. He ignored the pain and the heat, having a goal in his mind, having one goal in his mind. When he entered the chambers of the High King, Jarek, and Queen Teresa, he regretted his decision in horror. Tall, slender figures in robes wrapped in a, in a mishmash of wires, cables, and cables stood over the two mangled bodies locked in a perpetual scream of agony. The figures turned and flashed their red and green eyes at Geralt before lumbering towards him. They drew their hands and their cloaks to grasp any manner of horrible weapons but an unseen slash across their heads stopped them. Their heads slid off their cloaks, followed by their slumping bodies. Romero stood opposite side of them with her bizarre sword drawn and covered in bright red blood. 
Having jumped over Gerald in a somersault at speeds he could not notice, he dropped to his knees at the sight of his parents, tears welling in his eyes. Romero laid down a hand, gentle hand on his shoulder and leaned in. It's too late for them, Gerald, she sighed. But it's not too late for you or your sisters. Someone is coming to get you away from here, and I will do what I can to help, but you must follow my instructions. The knight steeled himself and nodded in affirmation. First to gather were Mattis and McKean, which be became easier with Gerald in the company of the strange Romaria, Romara. Their reactions of shock and terror to their surroundings was not easy. Harder still was the trek to the armory for the night suits. The siblings excited to the court, uh, exited to the courtyard to see the night sky glowing orange with fire and terrified servants and red priests scattering. No stone nor tree was left unmarked by savagery. Ignoring the chaos around them, Geralt, Madison, McKean, and Romero came to the underground entrance of the armory to a haunched priest frenetically tapping away at a set of all odd buttons. Magus Aaron, Geralt shouted, inciting several mechanical tendrils to turn and face his direction. The old Magos turned and clutched his chest at the sight of his siblings. By the Omnissiah, wait, you! He pointed in the direction of the group, and his unusual green and yellow eyes turned as red as his blood-stained robe. The mechanical arm from his back reached and grabbed an ornate weapon unlike any seen on Stalos. He started a series of awful metallic streaks and aimed towards the group. Geralt and his sisters held their hands up in surprise and surrendered. As he closed his eyes in resignation, Geralt felt a sudden whoosh of objects breeze by his head. When he opened them again, circular spikes spun towards Magos Aaron, embedding themselves in his robe. Then the buzzing started. The old Magos gurgled and sputtered in pain while the cog uh while a concoction. concoction of oil and blood sprayed the courtyard. When the buzzing stopped, the only recognizable signs of Magos Aaron were the red red of his robes and the glowing of his eyes returning to green and yellow before fading to black. The siblings froze in place at the sight of who they thought was their mentor and ally, now reduced to mincemeat in the blink of an eye. The screams and strange booms around the castle began to die down to the ambient sounds of crackling fire. In a matter of minutes, the night sky flashed in shades of purple and white, resulting in a tear upon which a flying object emerged. It was like anything the siblings had ever seen before. Along its side bore the insignia of a golden falcon with two heads. That ship up there. Lamar jolted Gerald and his sisters from their stupor. They will take you out of here. Get in your suits, leave this place, and leave it from your memory. It will only hold you back in your trials of death. McKean protested. But we are already past our trials. We suffered and lost everything because of these priests. Stop. Geralt silenced her. Mattis sniffed and rubbed her eyes, but said nothing. Geralt continued, Where will they take us? Geralt continued, Where will that take us? Where will you go, Romero? Romero stepped closer and brushed her hand along his chin. Wherever you go, I cannot follow. But when the time is right, you can follow me. There is destiny for each of you beyond this place. I will do what I can to help you see it through. Now go. Geralt tingled as he tried to speak, but found himself dumbstruck. Mattis was the first to answer. Thank you, Romero. 
Romero nodded to each of the siblings and sprinted off into the burning forest, her golden hair flowing behind her before disappearing behind smoke. Geralt and his sisters clasped each other's hands before making their way to their night suits, locking themselves in and taking their machine spirits off sleep mode. Geralt pushed away the thoughts of his forebearers and barks of his preceptor's machine spirits and turned his mind to Romero. His parents told stories of green brutes and, skele and steel skeletons, but he was most fascinated with the fey folk and their alluring yet duplicitous nature. He knew in his heart Romero had to be one of them. While he was ashamed to admit it to himself, a hint of attraction, a question <laughs> stymied? Yeah, stymied all Stimmy. other stuff. Stymied. Hmm. Why did she help them? Wow, that was pretty good. Yeah, fantastic part two. Um, let, let's jump back to the beginning, kind of. Uh, I love the scene of the drop pods. It, it almost sounded like they dropped in without any actual suit. How did you kind of picture them dropping in? Like without any pod, it almost sounded like they shot their suits at the planet. I didn't quite know how uh, knights typically enter uh, into atmosphere. So I just figured, I don't know, they were shielded or whatnot. So I just, that's why I just figured if, you know, just drop them from a safe distance, almost like a paratrooper kind of, and then just boom. Yeah, yeah. Which that might not be lore accurate, but it um, had a cool effect. <laughs> yeah, it had a cool effect. I could imagine it working on some planets, like if there was like uh, maybe like a deep snow planet that could kind of cushion the impact a little bit or something, or maybe maybe these suits are retrofitted just a little bit with some reverse thrusters or something like that. But uh, cool scene. Um. I'm assuming you haven't read the book King's Blade. I have not. Great book. Um, they do have one scene where they uh, they call them drop castles, where it's literally like a castle that can hold up to fucking 10 knights or whatever. And they drop this whole cat castle fortress down. It has, you know, the castle walls with auto guns on top, all the parapets and all that kind of stuff. And then, Ooh. you know, the drawbridge bridge door drops down and knights literally run out of the, the castle that just fell from the sky. But that uh, is such a 40k night thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and that seems like that would be like uh, a high intensity drop. Like that's like you're you're bringing your whole night house power. That might not be, you know, you have a couple armatures and a night that's dropping. It's a mighty fortress down, you know. I was kind of inspired by the opening of uh, Space Marine where Titus basically just jumps off the back of a Thunderhawk to the Codex one of the does not ships. approve this action. The Codex is but a guideline. <laughs> Yeet. Uh they it's a fun relationship between the siblings. Like there's some like quarreling in there, there's some protection in there, there's some defending in there. Yeah. Yeah, like it's another one of these super cool kind of dynamics where not only do you have the knights relating to their suits, but they're also relating to their siblings, which is a very different relationship to, you know, your uncle or your third cousin twice removed or whatever the next knight suit mm -hmm. over would be. Very cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> uh, the other part that stood out to me was the ion shield. Very subtle detail, but just like the little tilt of the ion shield and the skill of the pilot. Like a lot of people mm -hmm. don't realize that it is or know that it is like a skill based shield tilt thing. Those ion mm -hmm. shields. Very cool. Uh, you had a lot of 
I'm assuming 40k words, like a lot of logic. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be a listener lore without it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, some of these stories, especially this one, yeah, it has that 40k flair to it, man. That style, all those words that we love, all those made up <laughs> words, um, such <laughs> as Chiba Nakshak. <laughs> find the just, just to a, prove i'm not bs <laughs> i'm gonna find the i'm gonna find the lexicon i'm gonna need the official yeah. sources please <laughs> <laughs> um my other big kind of thought about this before we talk about plot points would be um it, it's just like a minor perspective thing like when you drop the knights down they're like oh yeah there's two venoms over there there's a pain engine like they they're very aware of everything in the universe like um I, I often wonder about like how much would the average person know? And especially a knight who comes from like this fucking feudal world with, do they even know how to read? Maybe hard to say. I thought about that, but then I figured, or at least in my head, I don't know if I made it clear, but because they mentioned before that they've been wandering the galaxy 10 years. Yeah. Finding different Eldar, trying to find this Harlequin Ramara. Yeah, and so I figure in the ten in the ten years they've at least had to have dealt with each of the major yeah. major Eldar factions at least once, so they would have a halfway decent idea of what's what's going on. Yeah, like they might now, not know a them... venom has eight guns on it, but they definitely know what a venom is. You know, they've encountered. Yeah, it. like yeah. like the ba- like the ba- like the basic shape they can pro- they could probably figure, but beyond that, that's about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, cool. I like it. Um, and like they're they're knights. They are all they want to do is wage war. So I would imagine, you know, if they're not waging war, they are studying their enemy, they're studying whatever type of I just picture them studying those weird medieval artwork where they're all weirdly positioned and like um yeah. you know, they're studying those texts, but it's Eldar drawings, like, oh, so that's how they fight, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, and I found well, it's the Warhammer wiki, but close enough. <laughs> close oh, enough. It'll do. <laughs> Beautiful. Nice. Cool. It's also sometimes called the Eldar Lexicon. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, cool. I'll have to uh, scroll through there and look at Increase my vocabulary. Um, there you go. There you go. Are you right? Thank you, part- B, for a wonderful rendition of Ramara. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know what? I do what I can for the world. Speaking of her, are you doing a part three or can I ask about her? Yeah, there's a part three. Okay, so we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, this is a cool story. Like, uh, you know, the house falls. There's this weird kind of play that happens that is apparently maybe the cause of it. Now now all the tech priests are going rogue and stuff, and uh, they're changing sides. That that must come up again somehow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. In part one, they kind of allude to... Like, there's a reason we haven't gotten the Mechanicus's help with repairing the night suits. Mm. And uh, I, I think, yeah, they mentioned that we're basically being hunted by the Mechanicus. So interesting. Yeah. So something happened there. Not just a weird uh, circus carnival burnt down the castle. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I hate when that happens. Those circus carnies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Clowns, man. Fucking clowns. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Yeah, I loved it. Fantastic story, man. I'm painting an Imperial Knight right now, and that put me in the mood to just keep painting. So I like that. Ah, me. good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. He needs that inspiration, you know. <laughs> um, Excellent. Anything you'd like to share about your story or part three? Any teasers or anything else? Uh, part three will be the aftermath and the lead up to when they link up to the Void Wraiths. Which is part four? I mean, yeah, part four. Uh, I realized. Uh, Are you giving us bedtime stories for the rest of our lives? <laughs> I, I mean, I can if you want me to. Nice. As long as you're doing the accent, as long as we get like a recording, yeah, reading yeah. it, the accents, okay, you kill the voice every time, and then switching between. Oh yeah, and- fuck the salamander's voice, man. <laughs> I had us laughing. <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I had to I had to minimize the zoom the the zoom chat because I didn't I, I didn't want to be distracted by y'all's reaction. <laughs> it was funny. So funny. It was a good reaction for sure. Yeah, classic. <sighs> cool. Love it. Love it. Can't wait for part awesome. three. Um, if There'll you guys have three and there, okay, there's going to be part three and then maybe a sort of sequel at some point. Oh, Mark loves. That's sequel. all I'm going to say. Okay. 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 Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um. I like it. I like it. Well, uh, how how long do we have to wait for part three? Are you written a little bit of it, or I'm par like I'll say like a third of the way through it. Okay, okay, that's nice. Well, no it's just a matter of me sit, sitting down to finish the rest of it. <laughs> Fantastic, cool. Uh, well, if you guys have lore that you would like to submit, you can submit to lorehammerpodcast at gmail and don't forget to support the Patreon. Go to Lorehammer Listener Lore, throw us a buck. It always helps. Makes me feel good. I feed a cat with it. Uh, Gerald, thanks for joining. Charge us. them extra if you want. If they want you to do accents. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To submit is one dollar. If you want accent accents, it's another dollar. If you want to do it with me shirtless, that's another dollar. <laughs> All types of additional fees can be added. For $69 a month, you can join this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys all on the next episode of Lorehammer Listen to Lore. Have a good night, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can email lorehammerpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page and support the show at Lorehammer Listener Lore. See you next episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.